The name of our podcast, Techsequences, is really a mashup of two words, technology and consequences. We are fascinated by the consequences, intended or unintended, of the internet and related technologies for the way we live, play, and work. We are your hosts, Leslie Daigle and Alexa Rod. We started our careers at the dawn of the internet and have been friends, colleagues, and comrades in arms for the better part of 20 years. In this podcast, we examine the impact internet-related technologies have made or may make in our lives. I'm Alexa Rod. And I'm Leslie Daigle. Welcome to Tech Sequences. If you notice more electric vehicles on the roads these days, it is no accident. In 2022, electric vehicles or EVs accounted for one out of 10 cars sold in the U.S. and one out of five cars sold in Europe. In the U.S., sales of electric vehicles increased to 14% of total cars in 2022, up from only 4% in 2020. Globally, EV sales are ramping up as well. According to the International Energy Agency's Global Electric Vehicle Outlook, more than 10 million electric cars were sold worldwide in 2022, and sales are expected to grow by another 35% to each 14 million in 2023. The increase in electric vehicles is attributable not only to costly fuel prices and increased consumer awareness of the harms of fossil fuels, but also to regulatory mandates imposed by both the EU and the US. For example, the EU has mandated that by 2035, all cars sold in the European Union will be zero emission vehicles. In the US, the Environmental Protection Agency under the Biden administration has proposed aggressive targets to limit emissions from cars on US roads by 2032. Under the rules, EVs could account for an estimated 67% of new passenger car sales by 2032 and 25% of heavy truck sales, a major feat for a country where transportation is the largest source of greenhouse gas emissions. But there is a catch. Transition to electric vehicles and consequently clean energy relies on lots of minerals like lithium, cobalt, and nickel. Just consider this, an average EV demands six times the mineral resources compared to a conventional car, while an onshore wind plant necessitates nine times more mineral inputs than a gas-fired plant. The successful operation of EV battery chemistries depends on five essential minerals, lithium, cobalt, manganese, nickel, and graphite, whose domestic supply may face potential disruptions. The U.S. Geological Survey has classified these minerals as critical, meaning not only do they serve an essential function in the manufacturing, but also that their absence or shortage would have significant consequences for the economy or national security. On the other hand, although emissions from mining are minuscule compared to burning fossil fuels, it does have other potentially devastating impacts, such as loss of biodiversity, pollution, deforestation, habitat destruction, soil erosion, and human-wildlife conflict. So how do we manage to transition to a clean future when doing so involves a delicate dance between finding, mining, and processing new mineral resources while mitigating other environmental impacts? Can data science and AI come to our aid? Can AI help us identify new mineral sources and or improve processing? Our guest today is Jeff Kares. Jeff is professor of Earth and Planetary at Stanford University, California. 
Jeff is also the founder of the Mineral X Initiative, a community building effort to strengthen stewardship for a prosperous future for all, powered by Earth's minerals. His research interests are decision-making under uncertainty in developing critical mineral supply, as well as geothermal energy required to transition to a 100% renewable energy. He has published in a diverse range of journals covering mathematics, statistics, earth sciences, engineering, and computer science. Jeff has also received several best paper awards and authored or co-authored five books entitled Petroleum Geostatistics, Modeling Uncertainty in the Earth Sciences, Multiple Point Geostatistics, Stochastic Modeling with Training Images, Quantifying Uncertainty in Subsurface Systems, and Data Science for the Geosciences. He was awarded the Crumbine Medal for the IAMG for his career achievement. Jeff has an MSc in Mining Engineering, Geophysics, and a PhD in Mining Engineering from Catholique Universiteit in Leuven, Belgium. Welcome, Jeff. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that, Leslie and Alexa. So as I understand it, there are four areas of focus in our transition away from fossil fuel to renewable energy sources, solar, wind, water, and materials. And in the opener, Alexa was describing the challenges to the fourth area, materials. Um, assuming materials are the most challenging and important area for us to focus on, can you talk about the supply chain and what the most what is most problematic with the current supply chains? Yes, for sure. As Alexa mentioned, there are uh, really four or five of these uh, minerals or elements that are needed, uh, lithium and nickel, copper, cobalt and manganese, um, and also graphite to an extent. Uh, one of the uh, things to think about also is that uh, we seem to have settled, at least for the next foreseeable uh, period, into uh, batteries that are lithium-ion batteries, and any other competing batteries are still a ways away. So then we can question what are the most important uh, elements needed, and I think lithium for me would be definitely one of the top uh, of them, and um, because of the amount of supply that will be needed. Uh, today, lithium uh, comes out of three different sources. Uh, you either have hard rock lithium or clay lithium or brine lithium, uh, and is uh, concentrated uh, very much in a few countries. 55% uh, of the world lithium comes out of Australia. Another 40, 30, 40% comes out of South America. So um, discovering these new deposits is going to be also very important. Uh, the second one I want to highlight a little bit uh, also is copper. Uh, sometimes that's not uh, talked about a lot, but uh, electrification uh, will require copper. Copper is one of the best conducting elements that we have, better than aluminum. And so uh, where copper comes from is going to be very important. Uh, now, copper resources, uh, min much of the uh, copper comes also out of um, countries such as uh, Brazil and and uh, and other countries. So, uh, so again, we're looking at where where are the minerals going to come from, and uh, how are we going to discover completely new resources from scratch? And that's uh, becoming a huge problem. So, the biggest challenge then is really the finding of new new sources, given uh, given our increasing appetite. For example, um, as you said, right now lithium ion batteries are the predominant battery, particularly for things like electric vehicles. Um, and although the Earth is supposed to have about 88 million tons of lithium, only one quarter of that is economically viable to mine as reserves. Um, and then it also takes time to set up a mine and get it running. So are those the sort of problem areas that you look at in terms of identifying how to move forward with these 
addressing supply chain issues? And if so, how? Yes, absolutely. I think you nailed a couple of very important ones. As number one is exploration, that's finding of new discoveries. Uh, then second, getting those uh, that lithium material into cars, that's the lithium supply chain uh, problem. Uh, and then thirdly, you mentioned also the uh, the issue of social license to operate, meaning building of new mines, permitting, uh, and in countries with significant regulations such as uh, the United States, this is uh, very challenging. So in my work, I uh, look at first of all at the exploration part and how we can accelerate uh, exploration. A um, lot of the problems in exploration is that um, a lot of things underground or above ground have been discovered. And so we can't just walk on the surface of the earth and think we're going to find a lot of minerals. So we have to look underground and underground. Well, you need to uh, do that with special techniques and they take time. And uh, the other thing is that uh, a lot of these ore bodies, they, you know, could mimic like other things. Uh, maybe these are just iron deposits or, or graphite deposits, even if you're looking for nickel. And so that's a huge problem. And what that results into is what we call a very high false positive rate, meaning that companies uh, need to do a lot of tries before they can get to finding a deposit. Uh, in fact, it's the the false the the rate of success is now less than one percent uh, of trying. And so, major in copper, for example, major deposits have not been found in the last twenty years. Uh, and so, this is becoming a problem. So that's where AI comes in, and that's where acceleration can come in because with artificial intelligence uh we can number one use data to quickly map the earth's crust and find out where deposits are or secondly and this is the other application of ai is it can steer us better in the data acquisition telling us what are the best data to take where should we be drilling and what sequence should we be drilling so this is really where, where artificial intelligence uh is making uh, a big difference and then the second portion of the program that we just started is more looking at the broader supply chain issues. Uh, and I can give you an example. Uh, the lithium that is mined in Australia, uh, which is a hard rock lithium, that ore is shipped to China uh, with a boat, uh, as you know, CO2 emissions. The ore is processed there into uh, refined lithium. Uh, and then that product is shipped back to Australia. Uh, so, so the carbon emissions for that are, are significant, uh, and then also the processing in China is not necessarily the most environmentally friendly part. So we're also looking at what is the impact on the environment, uh, what is the impact on the local communities uh, that are going to uh, to deal with that. And in the United States, this is a big issue. Uh, we talk about, for example, in California, there's a big lithium deposit in Salton Sea and also, uh, you know, poor farming communities living nearby. So all these issues are, are really coming up and boiling up today uh, and becoming extremely relevant. You mentioned that uh, the discovery rate is very, very low. For example, cobalt, there's been no new mineral sources discovered. Given that AI can help us figure out under the Earth's crust where these deposits may be, is it possible that we could find deposits in other areas, let's say Mali, for example, I was just listening to National Public Radio and they were talking about the Wagner Group and their role in mining in Mali and how they've really corrupted the local officials and you know all sorts of 
really negative consequences. So is there a chance that AI can help us find new sources in areas that are not so conflict-ridden? Yes, uh, absolutely. And as you alluded to in the beginning, there is uh, there are enough minerals. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's not a matter of it's going to be an impossible problem. They, they exist. Uh, it's just a question of trying to find uh, not only the minerals, but also the kind of geological mature areas for for doing that and there you know for example for nickel and copper uh we know that they tend to occur in certain geological zones and so these zones are found pretty much everywhere on the planet um i was speaking with somebody uh last week from madagascar uh, another very interesting area that you know talks about mining but you know also biodiversity so 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 yes it is available um and uh, it is available in areas with uh, significant environmental jurisdictions such as Canada and Australia. Uh, and so, so those are all things that are working for us. Um, the other thing that I think is very important to mention is that we'd like to find very high grade deposits. Uh, very high grade means lots of the metal present at a small amount of volume. And so what that means is that the mining is not gonna be as invasive as we typically think about open pit mining. I have to realize that uh, the problems that we're seeing now in mining and why mining gets a bad rap is that uh, we're mining more and more low-grade deposits, and that has an incredible environmental footprint. Uh, and so finding these high-grade deposits can then be used in underground mining, which has very little, almost on the surface you don't even see. It looks like a building. Uh, and so those are really important things. And finding those in the areas, as you said, with, with jurisdictions that uh, you know do it in the right way is very important. Yeah, as you were describing the importance of AI and finding new deposits, it, I, I could sort of hear in the in the in what you weren't saying that it sounds like it's almost as important for using AI to to reduce the number of places that get pockmarked by you know attempts to find materials that really aren't going to be there anyway. So that that sounds like it would be another targeted outcome of focusing. Yeah, and absolutely, and I can give you an example. Um, of you know, a lot of nickel is mined in the rainforest, and people sort of don't know that uh, nickel is mined in Brazil and Indonesia. Uh, and one one thing that happens in those areas as we do legal mining is that we also get illegal mining. Uh, and the simple reason is that once mining companies come in, they build roads and they have, you know, create roads in the rainforest, which gives everybody access to the rainforest, and that often coincides with with the illegal mining. And I think the illegal mining, in particularly in Brazil even for copper exists and is a significant problem uh, that is occurring. And so there, I think there's actually an opportunity here uh, that, uh, as you said, AI can identify really high prominent areas that is better than we would do today. So we don't go into those areas and and, and putting roads in. Uh, and so that those are really important uh, things to consider. And secondly, I think we can also think about how legal mining can reduce illegal mining. Uh, and so these are all kind of problems that, that we are looking at and, and particularly collaborating with, uh, with the companies that are operating. It's interesting you talked about Brazil because just today in The Guardian, there was a, an article about the Brazilian government warning everybody else about the impact of drug cartels and really criminal gangs getting into uh, the Amazon rainforest and significantly accelerating the destruction of that habitat. Uh, how does data science and AI help us find uh, these new resources, mineral resources? 
Yeah, that's a very good question. And I think uh, um, we have to think a lot of, a little bit about what is AI, uh, because, you know, it's sort of an, uh, a global term that's used a lot. Uh, it's not the chat GPT AI. So so there, there are basically levels of AI. The number one level, the big level, I would say, is intelligence, right? It's really programs that that can reason and act and adapt to things that are happening in the real world. That's not what ChatGPT does. Uh, ChatGPT is we call generative AI. It can generate from existing data things that are new or appear to humans to be new. So that's kind of like a sub-level of AI. Now, all of AI requires data. And so uh, the data science comes in, number one, in really aggregating all of the existing information uh, you know, we've worked with maps that go back to the Belgians in the Congo in the late 19th century. So that is really all of that information over the last 100 years, how you amass that, how do you make that accessible, and how do you make that learnable? Uh, that's actually a huge challenge, right? Uh, it's not just, you know, fancy AI. So once you have that, then you can have indeed learnable systems that can identify hotspots and in interesting areas. Uh, and that's great, but that doesn't mean you have a deposit. And then really the very hard work comes into thinking about narrowing down and narrowing down. And we're really thinking about scale here. Like you start from 10 kilometers and you go to one kilometer and then you go to an ore body that can be as small as 500 meters. So you imagine yeah. you're in Northern Canada, you're standing there and you need to find something that's 500 meter wide in something that's a thousand kilometers wide, 500 meter wide, that's thousand kilometers wide. And uh, so that's where we come in uh, with our AI, which is called intelligence prospecting. It's an AI that can predict, it's a bit like playing chess, uh, that you can predict what is the move you need to do, what is the move in terms of your drill bit or your techniques to measure, uh, and what is the optimal sequence to do such that you can find the deposit or just walk away, right? It's it's also a matter of, it's not because you try, you're going to find something. We need to reduce the false positive rate. Yes. Even if we can go from 1% to 5%, that'd be great. Because that also has a significant impact. Every time you're mining and you're not coming up with something, you're still destroying habitat and so forth. Absolutely. Uh, and that's typically the case with low-grade mines. When you're kind of at the border of whether this is economic and you start mining, uh, you're you you're running into problems very quickly, and you're making a bigger pit than you think you make, and so on. So it's really important to characterize the deposit accurately. Mm. So I imagine the kinds of data that you're looking at are are sort of finding the right finding the the conditions that need to be considered in order to say what's highly correlated with a you know a deposit a, a high value deposit, for instance. So whether I mean I'm sure it goes well beyond the what do you see by the 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 surface rock formation. Uh, but correlations, I would imagine, with other things like maybe water sources or who knows what. Yes, indeed. It's a, it's a very interesting science, mineral exploration. It, it combines areas of, of we call economic geology, that is understanding how the deposit was formed, which is what geologists do. Uh, the, the chemistry of these deposits, which is what geochemists do. Uh, often we see these deposits co-occur with geothermal uh, because of the, you know, it's right. kind of the same, the heat coming fluids coming from the from the bottom uh, then we also have remote sensing and geophysical techniques uh, that can sense through the earth uh, and so all of that has to be uh, integrated into one system with data science and AI and that, that actually is quite uh, challenging 
because many of these individual fields like geology, geochemistry tend to not be very quantitative driven uh, or data driven. And so, so that's a big challenge that we work in is how can we make that geological understanding more quantitative so it can be used uh, for uh, by AI or any data science. I, I imagine if you're working with maps from the Belgian exploration of the Congo, that um, you're not starting from digital maps and and just even trying to characterize, uh-huh. you know, how to characterize that in ways that will be useful is, is I'm sure, a challenge in and of itself. It's a challenge that the, the copper belt, so we're talking here about an area for people, an area that's in the middle of Africa between kind of the DRC, Congo, uh, Democratic Republic of Congo and Zambia. And so this copper belt area was, was you know, explored by the Belgians. Um, and there's actually not that much exploration data. People just went in and mined because if you go to the Congo, you can see the green rocks that you know, are indicating of this copper and people just started mining. And now we are going back and say, well, how can we do this in a, in a proper scientific way? Uh, such that you know we target at these high grade deposits and we're not invading uh, the 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 biosphere too much uh, in doing so. It's interesting because uh, I had not thought about this until I actually came across some of your work that we've actually mined the earth only in terms of what we've seen on the surface. And now all of those deposits are pretty much gone, yet we are still sticking to our supply chains are still sticking to this sort of antiquated method of discovery. And what you're proposing is, no, 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 let's really take into account multiple factors, use data science to identify the right areas uh, that are also more amenable in terms of a comprehensive environmental solution. Um, But there's also still the issue of processing. As you mentioned, China is a big processor of lithium and the dependency on some of these states, particularly in the last few years, uh, with with the the leadership uh, has been problematic. So how does or can uh, data science and AI help us in processing these minerals in a much more efficient way so that our, we can really re-engineer our supply chain? Yeah, that's a very good question. I, I, I think I'd like to use lithium as an example. Again, uh, so so lithium um, is processed, as I mentioned earlier, in China, and a lot of that lithium comes from uh, spodumene, which is uh, actually spodumene is like big lithium crystals. They cont- contain 8% uh, lithium, so these are amazing resources. Uh, so one of the things we're processing is that uh, it takes expertise and there's cost involved. Uh, now, one great thing that's happening today, uh, as you may have heard even a month ago, is there's a new pact between Australia and the United States that was announced by the Biden administration, where basically Australia is going to be considered a domestic supply of lithium for the United States. And so what that means is that investors cannot come in uh, and think about uh, putting processing plants right next to the mines in Australia. And that is feasible with uh, certain amounts of uh, funding, of course, it could be support from the government. And it's also a good thing because uh, Australia has a huge amount of renewable energy. And so uh, we can use renewable heat. That means heat created through electricity uh, to start, you know, spodumene remind, uh, means you meet, heat up the material to 1,000 degrees and then you need to use sulfuric acid uh, to drain out the lithium. And so these processes uh, have not really been optimized 
uh, to date. And so uh, we're looking in, into using AI and optimization uh, to tune the material coming out of the ground with the processing that is going to be happening in the in the manufacturing plants. Uh, I can give you an example. Tesla has just invested $600 million into a spodumene processing plant in the United States. So we're moving in the right direction in that way because that lithium that they're processing is coming from North Carolina. Uh, and so I think the kind of things that are done by the government in terms of you know, uh, providing capital, upfront capital is really going to be important because these are very expensive uh, facilities. So it's interesting that there's the ongoing discussion about just how green are EVs given all of all of this, right? Um, if you look at the the if you look at it just from the standpoint of the operator of, of an EV, yeah, sure, that's a lot more green than driving a gas powered car. But if you look at the entire history from mining the the ores to disposal of the of the EV when it's no longer certifiable. I mean, is anybody really looking at all of that math and saying this is this is the actual total cost to to the earth? Yeah. No, there there are definitely uh calculations being done on the CO2 emissions uh and they tend to be a quarter less for uh for electrical uh vehicles. But it's also important to reason about that in and and how things are going to evolve. Uh, you know, not just say, well, today it seems like some electrical vehicles may be dirtier, and you hear about that in the media, of course, than fossil fuel or ICE vehicles, internal combustion engines. Uh, the way things are going to evolve are very different. Um, you're always going to have to combust uh, fossil fuels in a fossil fuel engine, right? Uh, I have here, I live in California, I have a Bolt. I've been driving my Bolt for uh, now four years at least. I have solar panels. I charge my car with solar. Um, the energy in California is still 70% uh, is not renewable, uh, but these numbers are just going up and, and up and up. In fact, what has been shown over the last five years that the predictions that were made for the increase in renewables were, were just inadequate. We've seen a much greater increase in solar and wind than we ever thought there would be. And so what we're going to see is that um, is that the, the carbon footprint uh, of these cars is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller as more renewables come online. The other thing is that batteries, um, you know, last actually longer than we thought they did, number one. The second thing is that batteries, lithium batteries, uh, can actually have a second life as storage batteries. So what we're now seeing is that there are companies that are stacking lithium batteries on top of each other and making that storage for the electricity on the grid. And so so these batteries are not going to be in, dumped in the waste. Uh, they're going to be, number one, have a second life, possibly a third life. And then, and then of course, we're thinking about recycling uh, these materials. And that's also a big area of, of important work. But that's going to come probably in 15 years from now. Yeah, I think it's it's really important um, to, to look at batteries. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of batteries for uh, for backup, I have solar at home too, uh, and and battery backup for my house as the smoothest and and you know most transparent form of backup for the for the house, which is necessary when you live in the country. Um, but you know, I think the as you say, the the important thing is that in internal combustion, a fossil fuel car is always going to burn fossil fuels. But what you're saying is that we're improving our processes so that less fossil fuels will be involved in the production and reclamation of batteries. 
That's correct. And as I said, every part, if you look at every part of supply chain, you can decarbonize right. that part of supply chain. Is the, is the ability to decarbonize, even though today that's not happening yet, that ability to decarbonize is, is, is really important to look at as well. I want to come back to recycling. But first, um, I want to talk about the production of materials, essential materials like steel, glass, cement. In there, there's a requirement for very high high heat, 400 degrees Celsius to more than 1400 degrees Celsius. So that's why fossil fuels are used there because they're easy, they're cheap, obviously combustible. How do we transition away from fossil fuels and still be able to make materials like steel or glass? Yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> if you can solve that problem, then you have a Nobel Prize. Uh, <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, cement and steel uh, are are challenging. Um, I think cement is more challenging than steel because cement is really high heat, and uh, you know the cement is uh, requires limestone, which has uh, you know a CO two in it, and so uh, changing our concrete to new concrete, which is called green concrete. It's challenging because of the you know the mechanical properties of concrete and have to be in the same, and that's not simple. There are solutions, and these solutions they again require earth materials. And uh, one solution is um, green hydrogen. So this is hydrogen produced through electrolysis, uh, and that requires solar and wind. Uh, and the el the ele electrolytes that are used in that often have um, platinum or iridium in them, and and again these are minerals that need to be uh mined uh and so one of the problems with green hydrogen is that they're these things are very expensive because you know no one's been looking for them a great extent uh, and so so that's one uh, and people are working on alternatives for these metals of course so 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 there is green there is hydrogen and hydrogen can burn at relatively high temperature uh, and i think there are many solutions for steel as well uh, that involve uh, electricity uh, and others. Uh, but I think indeed, I, I would say cement is a very hard one. Um, and I was actually reading up on that. It's not my area, but I was reading up on that, that is just, you know, changing to a new material that has been used for a hundred years in uh, which our buildings are made to code is just a very hard problem. Yeah, I can well imagine that there are going to be some unexpected and unattended consequences from that, mm -hmm. you know, whether yeah. it's builders using it the way the old cement was used and not realizing that that's not that that is inappropriate. I mean, yeah, and also, for example, reinforced concrete, right? And you're mixing steel in with concrete. And so, how does this new concrete work with that steel? It seems like they have less lifetime, uh, you know, to start. I mean, there will be less a smaller life, shorter lifetime, uh, and that, of course, is another problem to to deal with. Maybe we should ask the Romans. They created the technology way back when. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they didn't have they didn't have quite our world full of of challenges to deal with though and and oh. but I'd like to come back just a little bit to to the question of recycling because you've you've mentioned that you know 15 years from now we'll be in a better position to properly recycle car batteries EV batteries but what 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 is the current state of recycling uh, materials now to obtain um you know more of these these basic minerals and and what do you see as its as its growth trend it's not really my area, but uh, what I can say is that uh, the technology and the ideas uh, for recycling are there um, and they're being further develop, developed. What is important is the cost uh, of the recycling. Um, and so, so that cost is going to have to come down. 
there are uh, things happening um, at the European level around mandates for recycling. And I think that will help also with, uh, number one, uh, making batteries more recyclable in the first place, uh, such that material can be separated. Uh, and also uh, that may help, uh, you know, this mandate of, I think it's something like 50% needs to be recycled by, I don't know the exact year, but it's it's by 2030. And so so there there's going to be mandates that are coming that these things need to be recycled. And that's also, I think, where the government uh, can come in uh, to basically um, promote, promote, sorry, yeah, to, to promote the recycling efforts and, and research. One other area we should really talk about is energy storage uh, as we transition from fossil fuels to more sustainable energy. So, for example, energy storage is required to meet regular demands on electric grids that are powered by dynamic energy sources like wind and solar power. What kind of innovations can we expect there? Is this an area where AI can help. AI has helped, for example, uh, in discovering new ways of treating diseases because they can figure out how these uh, proteins can fold in on themselves. Um, you know, COVID vaccine was an example. Is this something we can expect here as well? Absolutely. And and my colleagues at Material Science they're working on 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 using AI to to help discover. Uh, either new materials or or use databases of existing materials to optimize uh, any new materials. Uh, and so the area of material science is constantly evolving. Uh, in terms of storage, uh, we're likely looking at uh, sodium ion batteries uh, to be very important, uh, but we also need to increase the, the amount of time that these storage batteries can store energy. So right now we're at four hours. You know, that's not the whole night. So uh, going to eight hours, uh, is going to be uh, very important. So, so having a, a, a high energy density, but also over long durations, uh, and then lowering the cost uh, is going to be uh, very important. Um, we hear a lot about um, new batteries and new materials, but we also have to be a little careful about that. It takes a very long time uh, from a new material discovery in a lab to go to an actual implementation. So if you hear somebody uh, say we have a new battery that is five times more powerful than, you know, the current lithium-ion batteries. You have to think, well, what is this battery? Is this a little thing in the lab, or you know, there's a whole process that needs to upscale such that it can actually be used in 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 a, either a storage or as an electrical vehicle. And there's lots of things that can go wrong. So, uh, material science developments are are very important, going to be amazing, but it's going to take time for that. Uh, to play out in the real world. Well, you just dashed my hopes. I was my uh, iPhone batteries performance significantly degrades after yeah. you know a year and a half, and I was hoping that they would be uh, fantastic uh, innovations. But you're telling me just wait. Yeah, just wait, and also you know you, we can put more cobalt in that phone. If you mm. want to, now we'll improve the performance. Yes. <laughs> but then we know what, what's the problem with cobalt, right? So yes. uh, cobalt is uh, the lithium ion, but the lithium ion batteries, the combination of cobalt with nickel is 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 really the key, is the high performing. That's what you're going to go in your phone. But yeah, there, there are consequences to the cobalt mining as well. Right. So it's been a fascinating overview of, of you know, it's not just dirt. Um, <laughs> the world, yes. the world of minerals and, and 
you know, the very real implications, both economically and, and for, you know, practical purposes and everyday uses. Um, and I wonder if, if you could say, you know, as a final thought for our listeners, you know, you're very, you're clearly very interested in making sure that we move forward in an economically viable way and in a way that is, you know, good for the planet. You know, what is your best wish for where we are 10 years from now in this space? Oh, 10 years from now, I, I think uh, we want to have a different way of approaching resources and earth resources in general. We can be repeating the same mistakes uh, with oil and gas and, and just go in countries and ruin uh, you know, biospheres and ruin people's environment where they live in. And I think one of the, what I might hope is in, in the greatest innovation, it's not necessarily technological, but also that we can create community around this problem, uh, which means government, mining companies, but also NGOs, as well as local communities, really start to collaborate as one group uh, around that, and that may mean uh, just abandoning areas that we don't consider are good areas to go into. And and I see I see uh, things sparkling there. I see some hope that is arising. That uh, the mining companies are, you know, they're not not all of them, but many of them are doing. I think their best to do it the different way. Um, and there is uh, a lot of work done around irresponsible mining assurances. So there are many standards that are being developed. Uh, but then also we need to engage with the local communities. And that's what we've done over the last uh, month, actually, here at Stanford. And it's we have people from Zambia and from the DRC and from the Salton Sea. And they come speak truth to power about their areas. And people hearing that uh, and communities coming together around that, I think, uh, I hope that we're, we're, we are more than just technological and material science that we can do solve this as, a, as, as our human population as a whole. Sounds really exciting. Thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this Tech Sequences podcast. We are Leslie Daigle and Alexa Rod. You can reach us by email, techsequences at techsequences.org. We'd love to hear from you to know what you thought about this episode or ideas for future episodes. Tech Sequences. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and subscribe through your favorite podcasting service.